It's hard to sit your boss down and say, hey, so I'm going to quit this extremely stable, awesome job where you've promoted me multiple times and I am like really thriving, sort of. You know, like I'm, I was happy when I was at work, when I wasn't at work, when I was at home editing a video until 4 a.m., I was not happy. So it was like I had to pick and choose and I decided to choose YouTube and choose freelance. And Welcome back to the Well Now What podcast. I'm your host, Savannah. Today's guest is Katie Bellotti. She is a content creator, YouTuber, freelancer, graphic designer, podcaster. She does it all. And in this episode, we talk about how she left her seemingly dream corporate job at L'Oreal to pursue freelance. And we talk about the ins and outs of working for yourself and getting clients, how she started on YouTube and her multiple streams of income. I think she has seven or eight now, which is ridiculous. (laughs) And then we talk about her successful podcast and finally advice she has for college students. I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm here with the lovely Katie Bellotti. This interview is so exciting for me because I've been a fan of Katie's for such a long time. And I feel like I've known her at this point because I remember watching her in high school, doing makeup tutorials and interviewing her guy friends. Then when she went off to university, got her first job and then moved to New York City. And she's honestly still one of my favorite YouTubers to this day. And I know there's a lot of content creators out there and I've even interviewed a few on my podcast, but I believe that the content that Katie is creating is so authentic and really different from what I've seen out there. At only 24 years old, it feels like she's lived a lifetime and gives some really great advice in her videos and podcast. So Katie, you started your YouTube channel at 14. And for people that don't know your story, how did you get into it? And when did you actually start making money off YouTube? Well, that was an amazing introduction. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and to talk with you guys about uh, my life and how I've gotten to where I am now. So basically, as you said, I started on YouTube when I was 14. It was 2009 at the time, and I don't think anyone who had a presence in that time period really saw YouTube as a moneymaker, didn't really see it as something that was extremely monetizable because, you know, blogs were huge back then. It was really big. You know, the written word was really big. And so I think people don't really see a lot of money in vlogging and in video content. So it was a unique time for me to start because it felt more like a hobby and something fun and not something where I needed to be super business oriented and things like that. Whereas I feel like it's definitely shifted to that now. Um, So I didn't really start making any serious money on YouTube or consider it my job until I was around 16. 16 years old is when I kind of saw it shifting. Um, So until then, it was really just for fun, honestly. Yeah. And when you went off to university, you went to Elon University. So what did you major in and what was your experience with that? Sure. Yeah. So I went to college uh, in North Carolina. It was a great decision. It was a very small school. It was really, it was a liberal arts college. So pretty art and, uh, you know, communications focused. There was a huge communication school. I came in wanting to study journalism because I was really invested in my school newspaper in high school. And I really loved just publications. And I thought my end job was going to be on a magazine somewhere in New York City. And so I came in with that dream. And then I soon realized that I um, didn't love writing as much as I loved design and more uh, graphic design creative 
learnings and things like that. So I soon shifted my idea and my major shifted along with me. And it was, you know, from journalism to communication or strategic communications. And then finally, communication design was where I landed. It was a really unique major at my school. I was actually the second grad like the second graduating class from the major. So it was very fresh and new when I was in it. So it, it, you know, eventually kind of shifted into me wanting to do a more graphic design focused career, which was good. So. Yeah. Very cool. And how did you balance your YouTube life while also being a full-time student? It was tricky um, because, you know, not only that, but I also balanced having a social life or I tried to, you know, enjoy college and not be so, you know, business and school oriented all the time. Uh, So it was definitely just, you know, prioritizing the right things at the right time and not, you know, being too hard on myself um, because, you know, at the end of the day, I was balancing being a full-time student and having a job uh, that was very much full-time. It was very much my, it was my life. So, you know, there was times where I really had to, you know, strike a balance, but then also tell myself, you know, okay, it's time for you to, you know, not work today or just, you know, take some time to just be, you know, young and in your twenties and, you know, have fun in college. So it was definitely tricky. I feel like a lot of my professors did understand um, that I had this other thing. And I think that, you know, having those people like very nice and, you know, understanding professors in my life is really unique. And I'm happy I was able to do that. I think at a bigger school, maybe I wouldn't have been able to do that. So it was nice. Um, But yeah, it was definitely tricky. It was just, you know, about striking a balance, I think. Yeah. And did you find that people were trying to get close to you because of your large social media following? Did you ever find that a challenge in college? I think Maybe sometimes. Um, I, I never wanted to jump to that conclusion because I feel like it's just, it's unfair, you know, to think that everyone's just trying to be friends with me because of my following. I think it depended, it would very much depend on like how people, you know, if they wanted to just strictly hang out with me so they could show me, like I, I would have some like musicians reach out to me like in college and be like, hey, like I want you to share my track or whatever. And, you know, there comes a time where it's like, I, I would love to help everybody. But if you're just wanting to be friends with me for that, it just, it feels a little ingenuine and it's not very fair. But I, I do feel like majority of my friends and people I spent time with in college, like didn't really even care that I had a social media following. Like it was really not at the forefront. So I was lucky. I feel like post-grad's been when I've had a lot of people kind of coming out of the woodworks to ask me for favors and things. And I don't know. I think it's, you just, I, at some point you got to be like, you know, selfish and be like, this isn't good for me. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I'm like one of those people that I, I hate saying no to people. So it's been like a big, like learning and growing up sort of thing to say no to people. Right. Yeah. Sometimes. No, it's, yeah. yeah, that's really, really difficult. And, um, when you graduated, when you're about to graduate too, were you thinking like, should I continue with YouTube? Should I start getting a um, real person job, as people say. So what were your thoughts around that when you like when you graduated? Yeah, I mean, that was probably the biggest like turning point for me, or I guess it was about to be when I decided that corporate life wasn't for me. So when I was a senior in college, I, you know, had that pivotal moment where I was, you know, starting to apply for jobs. I started even junior year, but like, you know, as I was going through it and I was like, do like, I have the means and I have the success online, luckily to have been able to choose to just do YouTube full-time or just do, I didn't have a podcast at that point, but I knew I wanted to start one. And like, I had all these kind of this, these ways that I could survive in New York without a corporate job. But honestly, 
I was, I was scared that, you know, I would somehow become irrelevant and people wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't care. And I would need a way to have my foot in the door corporate wise. And, you know, it was already, it was good that I had already, you know, gone to college. So I had the degree, which unfortunately you really do need a degree these days to get any sort of corporate job, um, which I think is interesting, but you know, I had done that and I was like, well, then what would, what was the last four years for? Like, why did I put through, you know, go through all this work to get this diploma if I'm not going to use it, if I'm not going to get a corporate job. So there's all these things in my head and my friends, of course, were all applying for jobs. So it just felt like the normal thing to do. So I applied for a bunch of jobs. I got an amazing job at L'Oreal doing beauty, uh, digital and social things like that. And it was a dream job. And I was, you know, working in that job. I was doing YouTube also, which was a really, it was it really did drain me a lot having to do everything. And I just felt like I never had, never had time to like enjoy the city and relax or be super social without worrying about work. And it was a really, really hard first couple of years uh, post-grad. It felt like, you know, the work was never ending. And I'm like, is this like, is this how it's going to be for the next 30 years? Like, I don't think I can do it. Like, Mm -hmm. so I had a lot of thoughts and a lot of, you know, internal just decisions. I, you know, ultimately quit my job last November, quit my corporate job to pursue YouTube full-time, um, pursue my podcast, pursue all the things that I now do. And I have, could never be happier. Like I, I'm doing freelance now, so I can really work whenever I want to. I can, you know, take on client projects, which I'm really passionate about, but only as much as I can handle, which is nice. So, and I really do know myself and know what I can do in, you know, short periods of time or long periods of time. So I, I've, been really good at managing my my schedule. And now that I moved out here to LA, especially, I feel like people are a lot more relaxed here. And mm. it's I I feel like it's all worked out for me, but it definitely, you know, took a couple of years of me being super like so in a rut and just very confused about my life to get here. Yeah. And it's it's quite difficult to leave that, like they say, the stable job to something more like freelance. So yeah, what yeah. Were you, what were you most afraid of? Like and do you did you have any do you have any regrets now? from like the corporate world? Yeah. I mean, I don't have any regrets, I don't think, because I, th- I think that if I hadn't taken that corporate job, I would always have wondered what it would have been like, or right. you know, if I would have been happier in a corporate role. I think it was important for me to do that. Um, it was definitely hard to, I mean, it's hard to quit anything. It's hard to sit your boss down and say, Hey, so I'm going to quit this extremely stable, awesome job where you've promoted me multiple times. And I am like really thriving sort of, you know, like I'm, I was happy when I was at work, when I wasn't at work, when I was at home editing a video until 4am, I was not happy. So it was like, I had to pick and choose. And I decided to choose YouTube and choose freelance. And I think my boss and everyone that I initially told that I was going to quit this dream job in New York, you know, that I was going to do it. I, they were like, are you sure about that? Like, have you thought about, you know, what you're going to do freelance? Like you've never done free, like, you know, so of course it did surprise some people and surprised me honestly too, because you know, it, it comes a time where you, you have these, these ideas and you're like, Ooh, maybe I could quit. And I would start like fantasizing about the conversation I'd have with my boss and be like, you know, what if I could just like, you know, have this conversation and walk out the door and be done. And, you know, it took some time for me to realize that that could actually be true. And it's not just a fantasy. It's like something I could decide for myself. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, I just had to choose, choose myself and not, 
because I, I often do a lot of things and think about, you know, what people will say. And I think it's just a natural human thing. And so for once I had to just think about me and how it would really benefit me. And I'm really honestly happy with timing with everything with COVID and everything happening recently that I did that last year. Like I'm, I'm happy that I, cause I feel like it'd be so much harder for me to quit that job now. So <laughs> it all worked out, but it was yeah. definitely not easy. Yeah, for sure. And so when you were about to quit, did you have any clients like on the back burner ready to go? Like, did you have a plan? Yes. Were you kind of just like, I'm, no, I'm I had a, okay. two things, two things I would say to anyone who is thinking of quitting their job that is so important to have in place. It wasn't just like a rash decision. It was probably three months leading up to me quitting. I just like, had this plan. And so the first, first and foremost, make sure you have a financial, you know, you have a cushion so, you know, if you are to not have a steady job for months, make sure you have enough money to pay your rent, enough money for all your expenses and still have savings and things like that, which I, it's tricky for some people who don't have, like I did have a second form of income the whole time. Like YouTube was always a steady income for me, but I think it's important to save up, make sure that you won't be you know, regretting your decision financially because it makes it a lot easier when you can decide something truly because you, you know, quitting because you don't want to do it anymore versus, you know, having to stay because you need to make money, all that stuff. So financial cushion is key. Second, make sure you have clients lined up or you have some way of making money lined up. Like, I don't know if it, you could be a dog walker for a little bit while you figure it out. Just like something for me, it meant having a few clients that I had been kind of not secretly talking to, but like, you know, there's been some, some places where people were, you know, DMing me and saying, Hey, like love your eye for fonts or, you know, your hand lettering. Could you help me with this? And I had like clients lined up with, you know, down payments and all that. So I knew that there was going to be, you know, a buzz and I was going to be okay if I quit. Right. And I mean, ultimately I put in my two weeks, which ended up being three weeks. So I was still at L'Oreal for three weeks after I put in my notice. Mm -hmm. um, so I, it took a little bit of time for me to be like fully free, but yeah, having those two things in, in line is really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what exactly do you do now for clients? Is it mostly graphics, social media strategy, and how did you build mm -hmm. up that portfolio? Is it mostly from YouTube and your brand partnerships or did you reach out to people? Yeah. I find it's actually extremely separate from my YouTube life and mm -hmm. from all of those people that I work with. Like, Cause those are probably, those are major corporate brands that I work with. Like you know, Aquaphor and, you know, beauty brands. I'm working with a wine company. Like that's all kind of separate. And then my clients that I do graphic design for are mostly individuals and, you know, people starting like a photography business or just, you know, a wedding. I have some wedding clients. I have mostly individuals on that side, people that, you know, don't have an endless budget. You know, my, my, uh, portfolio and just the things that I offer, my offerings are relatively inexpensive. So there are people, so people can afford it. And, you know, it's, it's ultimately kind of, it's a side hustle for sure, but it's, it's definitely more fun than it is a moneymaker for me. Um, but I, I gained all that knowledge and, you know, those, those pieces from my portfolio really just by, from playing around, like I was doing a lot of calligraphy stuff, um, you know, I was doing some tattoo designing and that's what, kind of where it started. I was doing a lot of just doodling on paper and sending people pictures of, and I was doing it for free for a long time. And then oh. my parents were like, Katie, you, you should charge for this. Like even just like $30 you know, tattoo or something, at least you're making your coffee money. Like, come on. <laughs> so then I started charging a little bit. And then after that, it just kind of 
it turned into something where like, oh, you know, if I'm doing tattoos and I'm doing, you know, this, like people are asking for logos, they want headers, they want that sort of thing. So I really do physical products almost. So, you know, logo design, um, you know, font curation, things like that. I don't really do social strategy as much as, um, you know, actual kind of items, things people download and put on their website or use as their, you know, headers and things like that. Um, and I try to do at least one new client a week. Uh, so like for a month or so, not any more than that because it can be too much. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where it started and where it is now. Right. So what, where does all your income come from? So I know you've got Instagram, Patreon, yeah. YouTube, whatnot. So what are all the streams? You must have so many, but I think, I think I have like seven or eight now. It started a lot less. I mean, a lot of them are, are active income streams, which I'm trying to cut back on those and do more passive stuff. So like, you know, I'm working on the Patreon content's kind of passive because it's, it's things I upload and people can access it at any time, but they have to pay the monthly fee and whatnot. And it's, again, everything that I do that, you know, for my kind of freelancing side is, is something super affordable. So, you know, my Patreon's between one and $5 a month, like for a subscription. And it's, you know, really good, solid materials that I have contributors helping me with. But in terms of just like all of my streams, I guess, so YouTube, Instagram, podcast, because the podcast, the YouTube and Instagram I do, I work with um, brands and my manager who's out here in LA um, helps me with those. Podcast, I get, you know, the in-feed or the um, the, the listens, uh, the, the ad reads, that's what it's called. And then Patreon's my fourth. Um, freelance design, I guess, is just like a, as a whole is my fifth. Um, and I think that's it for right now. I'm working on merch. That'll be another one. Wow, but exciting. I feel, I feel like there's more, but <laughs> that's kind of it for now. No, I feel, yeah, it's a lot to manage. I, I would say like my YouTube life kind of takes up half of that. And then my other, it's nice having two things and it's not just, you know, here's a look at my life every day and that's how I'm getting paid. It's like, I'm also creating real things and, you know, using my major that I didn't think I was going to use, you know? No, yeah, that's so, great. Yeah. And so as we all know, the influencer, I hate that term, but like content creator, it's like, Me too. is very, is very saturated. So like everyone and their mother wants to be one, which is great. But like, how do you think you continuously stand out? And especially with that younger generation, like the, um, like right. the rock stars or whatnot, they're starting to boom. So how do you, um, continue to stay, I guess, relatable or do you shift like your target audience? I feel like, I mean, for me, I, I'm lucky because I have, I've been doing this for so long that I feel like people stay with, have stayed with me over the years. So I definitely have that kind of like OG YouTuber kind of uh, vibe to me, whereas a lot of people are just starting out and don't, you know, have these, these followers who have been with them for so long. Um, that definitely does, you know, make me unique, I think, but it, it's also something where I feel like you can become irrelevant real fast. If you've been on the internet for 12 years, it's like, okay, like wh what do you, like how do I continue to reinvent myself? Like it's just, it's hard, you know, after you've been doing something for so long and you feel like you need to be one sort of thing for people. I think for me, it's, it's important, you know, to be niche and to have something people know you for, but also not too niche that you know, people could get sick of that one thing they know you for. So it's tricky. <laughs> so I think, you know, for me, I, I've always been super open about my creative process on YouTube and on uh, my podcast and really every platform. And 
you know, as I'm trying new things and as I'm getting more into my design and, you know, all that stuff, I think it's been helpful for me to, you know, share all of that and tell everyone how I do it, how I've started my design, you know, business and how I do all this stuff. Because I think people, especially now in quarantine, are really interested in starting something, which I think is so cool. Like everyone has a podcast now. It's, I love it. I love podcasts. So I love that it's like such a boom right now to do that. But I I would just say for anyone starting, it's, you know, you really can't get discouraged in the beginning because because to your point, it's such a saturated market. There's so many people doing things and making things. You have to be kind of content with not many people watching you for a bit, not many people listening to you. And, you know, that's how I was for the first like two years. I had like 30 views on my videos. And for some reason, like that was enough for me because it was fun enough to be making the content. If it isn't fun for you making the content, maybe you should try something else because it should be fun. It should be something where you're excited to do it. And even if you have really no one talking or no one listening to you, you should still pretend like you're talking to a hundred people, like just pretend, you know, and eventually (laughs) they will come. (laughs) Like if you keep talking to them, they will come. That's what I've learned. So no. Yeah, I agree. And I want to talk a little bit about your podcast. I love it. So if you guys haven't listened to it, it's called thick and thin. It's so great. And I don't know what you're doing if you haven't heard of it. But um, it's awesome because you you give some great advice, but I also like it because you tie in a lot of history with it, which is very interesting. But then you also end up tying it with your personal life. I don't know how you do that, but you, <laughs> you end up like, do you plan your episodes far in advance? Or are you kind of just like have an hour before, write down all your notes and then record it? Or what's your plan there? I'm a day before person. So I, for example, so today's Tuesday. Or I guess, yeah, kind of day before. So I'm not like working on my podcast at all today, but I did yesterday post on Instagram, hey guys, what do you want me to talk about this week? And I read through a bunch of the replies. I kind of like started, you know, getting something in my head. And I, I already, I always just have ideas. And what I do is I have a notes, like a, a specific note in my phone where whenever I have a random thought or idea, I'll be like in the shower or like at happy hour or something. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, like, this is what I need to talk about. Like whenever. So I have a list of just a growing list of kind of half baked ideas. And, you know, when something, you know, I read a story of someone from history or something, I read a lot of news articles. I read a lot in general, just I randomly, people will even DM me things that like this sounds like something you'd like and I'll read it. So um, typically, so I I post my podcast on Thursdays and I don't post at like a specific time. Like I really should, but I really, it just depends on like when I'm able to record and all that stuff. So I typically record the day before and I, I actually do an interesting thing where I, I don't, I didn't know everyone doesn't do this, but I guess, I don't know. I, I also don't have, I don't have guests on my podcast, so it makes it easier. It's just me kind of sitting there and talking. Um, And what happens is I'll record and it takes me about like two hours to record because I'm like, I'm editing as I go. So when I'm done, done recording, I'm done the podcast. Like I've edited the whole thing. So I'll do that. Um, but I really don't plan that far in advance. I actually, I don't pre-record like batch record and all that. Like I am like a very low budget production over here for my podcast. It's really just like, it's a spoken diary. It's the things that I read, the people that I read about, and I somehow just like bake it into something. And I feel like it's kind of all over the place, all over the place, but it's good because it's, I'm not talking about one thing, the whole 45 minutes. Uh, so it keeps people engaged and interested. So 
Mm-hmm. And are yeah. you with a um, management team with your podcast? Or are you doing all your editing or like, is it completely like mm-hmm. you? So I just recently signed with a uh, podcast agency. I, I have management and she helps me with everything uh, from YouTube to Instagram to the podcast. And she helps me get ads and things like that. But when it comes to, that's really where it stops. And even when I signed with this new agency that I'm going to start with pretty soon, I still have all creative control. So I have all editing control. I have all, um, you know, I've, I've done everything from my podcast artwork to, you know, of course, planning out the episodes to inserting the ad reads. Like really the only thing that agencies and my management helps me with is getting sponsors and getting ads. So for the most part, for basically like 90% of the way, it's all mine, which is nice. Cause I, I just, I need to like edit myself. I need to have that control just because I know what I want it, want the end result to be. And so that's just kind of how it goes for me. Yeah. And I, I just want to touch upon some of the challenges that you faced, um, kind of like different parts of your life. So you went, you went to university to your first corporate job, moving across the country. So what are some of the bigger challenges that you face today in your career and in your personal life, I guess? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I guess challenge-wise, I think something that I've always struggled with has been just comparison and comparing myself to other people, especially other creatives. I feel like I've always, and I feel like this is something very wide spread among creative people. I always feel like I could be better or, you know, someone else can do this better than I can. So I might as well not even try. And so that has been a big challenge that I've had to overcome. And also just, you know, not, you know, fitting myself into a mold that everyone wants me to be, to fill and to be, and just reinventing myself constantly, not feeling like I need to be the same person as I was yesterday. I think those are a few little ways that, you know, it's been a challenge, but something I've worked through and I'm proud of myself for working through. Yeah, that's awesome. And just the last question, what is one thing that you wish um, college Katie should have done? Oh, it's such a good one. Um, okay. Uh, whew, okay. I think it's I, at least freshman year, Katie needs to know you're not going to be friends with everyone. You're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. You know, you could do everything right and there's still going to be someone who doesn't like you or is criticizing you or thinks that you're a bad person when you're not and you can't spend your whole life proving to people that you're a good person. You just, you can't do it. It's exhausting and people are going to hate you even just for being a good person, they're going to hate you. So you really can't please everybody. You can't be everyone's friend. Sometimes you have to look out for yourself. And that means kind of saying, you know, goodbye to some people. And that's just how it has to be. And I I think that freshman year, Katie really needed to hear that. She eventually figured it out, but it took her some time. So I think that's important to know. No, yeah, really well said. Well, thank you so much again for taking time to chat. Um, If you guys haven't heard her podcast, definitely listen to it and check out her YouTube videos. But thank you again. This was, this is huge for me because I honestly was watching you when I was like, I'm only a year younger than you are. And I think I was watching you when you were like 15 or 16 as well. So it's so lovely to see what you've become and the business that you've built for yourself. It's honestly so impressive. Well, thank you for having me on. That's so cool. I'm happy to (laughs) to be here. I'm always here. And that was Katie Bellotti. Make sure to check out her YouTube channel with her name, her Instagram, of course, and her podcast, Thick and Thin. I highly recommend it. Thanks for listening again and see you next week.